0: Mr. Robot is over. And we're just getting started closing the book on the Mr. Robot podcast here on Post Show So, everybody. Josh Wiggler here, joined by Antonio Mazzaro. No jokes, because
1: this is it. Hello, friends. Goodbye, friends. <laughs> you say that. Uh, I have, in preparation for this podcast, been listening to some of our Season 1 material. Just thinking about previous seasons of the show, I wouldn't be shocked, Josh, if we decided at some point that we have to go back.
0: Yeah, probably last one for at least a month or so. I would say, just <laughs> yeah, uh...
1: <laughs> just logistically speaking. Sure,
0: <laughs> logistically speaking, as uh, as we are recording this, I am uh, fourteen hours away from flying on a plane across the world. Uh, again, I hope I have better luck than uh, than some of the people who were very afraid of uh, what could happen with planes on this show. Though, hopefully, I. Actually she do have the luck of DDP, considering things seem to work out pretty well for her. Uh, but as it stands, this is the last Mr. Robot podcast on the docket here uh, in the books for us on post-show recaps. So if this does end up being the final uh, Mr. Robot podcast, if it is true, Antonio, that we are saying goodbye, friends, today, then that means we're at the end of a very long journey for us this has been this has been the longest you and i have gone on one show i think ever
1: well there were there were long delays between uh, seasons especially between season three and four right so we are what two years removed from the end of season three at this point i think it was in december of 2017 something like that yeah yeah and so just that alone, I think, has added to this robot road as well. Uh, but we're going to ride till we can't no more on this robot road. So here we are. Uh, and like I said, it, it may be the end. It may not be the end. We don't have any firm plans. Uh, certainly, there may be opportunities to revisit this show down the road. But – uh This is a long road, the robot road, Josh, and we've revisited it and visited it, and we've been on different sides of it, and we've come up and down different ways. We watched the first season and podcasted about it, spoiler free, and then added a section in each podcast for people who had already seen the first season to talk about the twists that were in the show, Uh, and now we are clear eyes, full hearts, having seen every bit of Mr. Robot, knowing where everything goes, and definitely with a major series redefining twist In the final episode, uh, finding ourselves in a position where there may be some grist to that. Hopefully, people who have begun rewatching the show already are finding these connections. Uh, Someday, we we may do the same, but uh, certainly no promises on that front.
0: Yeah, well, the, the, I think like the full Mister Robot rewatch road seems like an ambitious project that I am not currently prepared right. to to sink my teeth into Strigoi, uh to, oh, no. to, to, to to that notion at the moment, but not to say uh, that that some revisiting down the line isn't in uh, isn't in the cards, isn't in our future. Um, but I know that you know we've been you know this this podcast we're going to be dealing mostly with um with with lingering feedback from from people not just about the finale. But I think Mr. Robot as a series and the legacy of the series. And I don't think that we'll do too much self-congratulatory stuff here on the podcast. So maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. But we got a lot of really nice notes from people who've been with the podcast, either for a very long time, you know, from the very beginning when you and I started this thing, Antonio, uh, in the run-up to season two, doing those season one podcasts, as you mentioned, to some people who've found us very recently, uh, like who have found us as recently as either the Penultimate episode, or maybe even the season finale. We may even be talking to people in the future. We don't know, you know, people who are going to discover Mr. Robot down the line and find out that there's a podcast about it here on Post Show Recaps, and they're going to listen to it to, to supplement their engagement with the material. Um, but a lot of these people, not the future people yet, but everybody other than the f- future people, we've we've just gotten some really amazing, um, nice feedback just about what what not just what the show meant to you, but having the podcast meant to you, and it's really put it in in you know. Sharp relief, Antonio, that we've been talking about the journey of Elliot Alderson for so long. Um, and again, not to say that we may not talk about him again. And I'm sure that Mr. Robot and and Elliot and the various alters and and even the characters in his orbit, uh, or just you know pieces of dialogue, are going to find their way into the vernacular of our podcasting moving forward. Because certainly, you and I are not done podcasting together, Fidelio, um, Fidelio. But you know this this will be it. For got Gato Mister Roboto. and and I and I very much feel the the spirit of the song as we're here.
1: As do I. And actually, though, I did get a few uh, feedback emails from the future listeners. Uh, I don't know why you didn't get those. Uh, what did they actually? say? Uh, well, first of all, the rock is president. Oh wow, <laughs> Dwayne, <laughs> Johnson, better, president. Dwayne Johnson president. Dwayne Johnson. Yeah, it's better than better than some outcomes. Do you do you want to know who was running? You, can you guess who his running mate was?
0: Um, I'm gonna assume it was Kevin Hart.
1: <laughs> yes the uh was it called pain and gain is that the was yeah, that the uh the slogan right. pain and gain twenty twenty four uh yeah. that was what the slogan was uh yeah, it, no was their a, campaign was uh
0: the presidency the next level ah uh, not campaign no, and gain yeah, no it's something no, different no. no yeah
1: uh I did not get any others that was the only one I got and there was really no feedback on the podcast It just said the rock is president and kevin hart is the uh is the vice president so there you go it's the veep is
0: the Veep? Um, all right. Well, we've got all this feedback to get to. None of it is about Dwayne Johnson,
1: unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You haven't read the feedback document, apparently. I
0: guess, I, I guess we haven't. Um, yeah, I know. I know that as we get into the feedback, we're going to start a lot with with overall impressions from from our listeners. Uh, Antonio, let's let's start with you and me. Where are you at with Mr. Robot? Uh, a few days removed. I mean, we're recording this the day after Christmas. Merry Christmas, Antonio. Um, Thank you. Merry Christmas. This, this this was this was a Christmas-themed Mr. Robot season, so I feel like it's appropriate that we are recording right around that Christmas time. Uh, so we're talking four full days
1: after the Mr. Robot finale. We've had four full days to process this thing. Where are you at with it? I'm still very much uh, feeling good about it. What it has done more than anything for me uh, is open up questions in my mind about when we saw Mr. Robot throughout, what his prime directive was. Now knowing him as the protector... Uh, and as I said, listening to a couple of our old season one podcast, even including season one, episode eight, uh, we had uh, some feedback that uh, we should check that out. Uh, I believe that was Jay from the UK. Uh, if that was somebody else, I apologize. But uh the The word was basically like we had talked about a lot of what happened in the finale on that podcast, and I didn't hear a ton of it, but if if you remember season one, episode eight, of course, is the episode where Elliot starts to realize uh, that he realizes Mr. Robot is his father, Darlene is his sister, he doesn't come to the full realization yet that Mr. Robot is uh, is a, fic- a figment of his imagination, uh, or a creation even, he, he just knows that Mr. Robot is his dad, and Christian Slater shows up at the end of the episode, we need to talk, and We had been tracking Mr. Robot throughout, knowing what we knew about season one as this sort of agent of chaos. Uh, Maybe in some ways this uh, this unbridled id just rampaging around the kind of guy who wants you to do destructive things, the kind of guy that wants to blow up a building, the kind of guy that maybe pushes you off a rail. Now that we know about Mr. Robot as the pure protector and we know that Mr. Robot knew that Elliot was the mastermind throughout, that it was not – Actually, uh, Elliot Prime, that it wasn't the core, or the host Elliot, that it was another alter that he was dealing with. It's fascinating to think about all these scenes from season one, the conversations between the two of them, the decisions that Mr. Robot, uh, takes or doesn't take. He tells Elliot to lose Darlene's number, for example. Knowing what we know about how vital Darlene is to the end game of this story, uh, and knowing what we know about why that's so significant for the the host Elliot, it's interesting to think about what Mister Robot's goals were throughout. And we certainly have questions about some of that, but I'm 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 not in any way suggesting that the twist doesn't work. I think it really very much does work. I just think it presents, uh, and I think you and I talked about this a little bit, Josh. It's just a monumental feat of writing and direction. I think it was. I think you told me it makes all the sense in the world that Sam Esmail would want to direct all the episodes from season two going forward. Yep. Uh, because that the director has to be in a headspace with the actors, like you're this now, you're doing that now, and that is such a Herculean task. But I think it is reflected in what we see on screen that this was the plan all along. There are so many moments throughout that when you read them in this context, look, if it wasn't their plan, they came up with the plan at some point along the way. And certainly before season four, uh, they came up with the plan that really worked with all this. And I certainly am one to believe that it was the plan all along.
0: I think so. I I mean, I definitely do. In in his uh, his appearance on the watch, and we talked about this on our finale podcast. uh, Esmail says, "Fuck plot, right? Like that's that doesn't matter to him that much. What matters to him is character. (laughs) You know, what matters to him what matters to him is character. But but even if it's uh, characters that are most welcome in his heart, uh, as opposed to plot, the central twist of the finale and thereby the series is deeply rooted in character. Uh, Esmail has said many times that the the ending of this series has been firmly set all the way through. Uh, so, with those two things in each hand, I definitely believe that this twist was baked into the premise. Um, and I think that the the, the more we've contemplated it, um, the more you you go back and you look at some of this stuff from throughout the series, there are instances I think that maybe are a little bit cloudy still. And it's like, how does that quite connect? Given the fact that uh, you know our Elliot is actually Mastermind Elliot and not. Not the full Elliot Alderson, um, but I think that those instances are much fewer and further between than the ones that are kind of like Eureka moments that are like, aha, oh my gosh, uh-huh, I should say, uh, <laughs> where like it really, it really reclarifies, recontextualizes um, some of the moments that we've seen before, and like one of the reasons why it would make sense to go back and, and repodcast Mister Robot. Going to say, don't is, burn our material. Well, there there are like some of these moments where, you know, you, you can think back to like times where like you and I were like, and then you get to actually watch uh, Rami Malek play the Mr. Robot role. Uh, you know, it's that moment where he's putting the mask on on Christmas and he's got the the jacket on and there he is. It's the birth of Mr. Robot. And really what that is, is probably the birth of the mastermind. Right. Uh, so like there's there's just stuff all throughout. And it's also going to be fun, I think, to, like, to go back and see if you can find the moments where like full elliot is there you know real elliot as it works i'm sure that those moments
1: exist it's Yeah, probably we gotta, we gotta in a lot of lot, scenes i'm gonna lead a, a lot of feedback about this and yeah so like justin Sharkey wrote in and said when did our elliot take over was it after he destroyed the server room was real elliot in charge until that incident stephanie berman wrote in and said in speculating on when the mastermind took full control of the real elliot I'd love to believe that it was when he first uttered the phrase, hello, friend, as the first line in the series premiere, but this is likely not the case. It likely occurred before he destroyed the server room at his previous place of employment. This was the mastermind's rage taking over completely. The flashback scenes during the mastermind's interaction with fake Krista provide support to this by using the memories to enlighten uh, the mastermind uh, and us in the, the way, uh, the clues that we may not have missed along the way. Angela, for example, saying he hasn't been the same the past couple of months. He didn't recognize Darlene. He now wonders how he can take off the mask when he stops wearing a mask. So this is there, right? Uh, and it definitely, it makes you wonder. Um, this is, uh, Bob, Bob Marasa wrote in, and it's talking about the scene you're talking about in In It 1, which I believe is on Halloween night. Uh, Bob says the flashback scene where Darlene it comes back into his life, and Elliot puts on the Mr. Robot jacket and talks about his plan. Was that the first time the mastermind took over? Do you think at any point during the series we were watching the real Elliot and not the mastermind. Jack May wants to know the same thing. Were there ever parts of the show where we were not viewing the mastermind and were instead seeing the real Elliot? Belinda Pasella asking the same question. Josh, a lot of people are wondering about this. Are there scenes that jump out to you? Belinda, for example, points to um, the moment when Elliot gets out of jail and Darlene whispers in his ear and Belinda says, is it possible we could not hear that whisper because for that brief moment, the real Elliot was present and our Elliot was not.
0: Wow, I thought you said that Elliot was president, and my head just yeah. Went no,
1: back. The Rock is president. <laughs> Everyone knows that. Uh, sorry. Yeah, but that's the thing, and
0: that is why I'm you know I'm haunted by this conversation I had with Sam Esmail. Uh, I asked him about (laughs) the other one and he was like, I have to be very careful how I respond to you. And in like my tinfoil hattiest of tinfoil hat moments, uh, I think like, oh God, was that conversation like the conversation where he's like, I gotta chill out on the interviews. Uh, we, (laughs) we might reveal something here. Uh, but where he said in that conversation, uh, I have to be very close lipped about the other one. Um, When you find out the answer to it, you will see that it was baked into the show from the very beginning and it will completely change the way you watch the show. And so it's not just that it's going to change the way you watch the show in that you know that the Elliot that we're spending most of our time with isn't a full picture Elliot, um, but that there are probably moments where that fuller Elliot Comes out uh, where you see him, where you get to spend time with him, and I think that you've already, you know, spent so much time as a viewer of Mister Robot, having this granular attention to detail to Rami Malek's mesmerizing performance. Just think about the the ways in which you'll analyze
1: it even further now. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, it is. I I, I personally was thinking about the mastermind uh, in the server room and thinking about the circumstances which maybe led to that server room incident. If I recall, Elliot was working at a job. By the way, already Elliot working at a job different than most of the Elliot we have seen in the show, save the Elliot at all Safe. Uh But Elliot was working at a job where his job was to find flaws and bugs in software code. He was so good at it that I believe it was Memorial Day weekend, and the people that worked there couldn't go home because he kept finding new work that they had to fix. Because there were so many problems, there were so many problems in the code, and he was so good at his job. We now now knowing what we now know about Elliot, not just recontextualizing with the reveal of the mastermind, but recontextualizing with the reveal of episode four seven, when we find out what happened with Edward Alderson and Elliot when Elliot was younger. We think right. about the Elliot that is at that job, he is good at his job, and instead of getting praise for it, he gets locked into a server room. He gets bullied. Uh, and then we, when we know that the mastermind is this manifestation of anger, it makes all the sense in the world that in that moment, he doesn't need a protector who was, uh, he's already created. He doesn't need to feel all these other things. It is anger and rage and wanting to change the world uh, at a micro level and at a macro level that I think probably results in the mastermind emerging in some way at that point. Now, he goes into therapy after that incident. He gets on meds. He stops taking the meds. And our show begins with him not knowing that Darlene is his sister, with F Society already existing. Darlene says in this finale episode that it was right around the time that they were first getting going with F Society, that she noticed that the Elliot that we saw wasn't the Elliot uh, that she grew up with, that it was the mastermind in some way. Now, that is not exactly on Halloween night. Uh, What I think, ultimately, because we saw a little bit of it or heard a little bit about it in this season, I think what we probably had throughout the show uh, were these moments of bleed, uh, where the host Elliot was bleeding into the mastermind right. Elliot, where there were these horrible incidents, maybe, that set Elliot back. We have to think about why the host Elliot emerged at some point. It was right after it probably found out that Angela was killed. So, of course, that set the mastermind back. Um, there are all these complications with the mission that probably set the mastermind back. The Mr. Robot stuff set the mastermind back. Keeping in mind that all of these people are part of Elliot, they're all parts of a whole, and we know that they each contain little bits of the other because they're all part of the real Elliot, it makes sense that he would be going in and out. And then as the mission got super intense, the mastermind's reason for existence. That's why both of his hands go on the wheel fully. Uh, and it's only when stuff from his very personal life gets completely thrown in front of him like a dead Angela that he gets derailed at all, maybe the three days after the hack as well. But I think when you rewatch the series, I don't think it's ever purely mastermind from the the jump. I think he takes control at some point. And I think probably we see throughout uh, manifestations of all versions of that.
0: You know, you're talking about like the parts working in concert with each other or other parts being involved in each other. And it just gets me thinking um, more about like the way that we're not just going to be watching Elliot... Himself differently, like we're not just going to be watching Rami Malek differently, but we'll be watching Mr. Robot differently too. And Christian Slater is Mr. Robot differently, not just because of um, you know the the baggage that comes with him bearing the likeness of Elliot's father and what Edward Alderson did to Elliot, um, but also because now you know so so much of our conversation about the show, uh, certainly early on, had been about like the question of like Mr. Robot is like the evil Elliot, he's the rage Elliot, he's the id Elliot, he's the one that just Wants to burn it all down, man. That's exactly and, what he sounded like, you know. And and what we're what we're left with by the end of it is Mr. Robot's the protector. He's there to protect Elliot, and so it recontextualizes a lot with the way that Mr. Robot. Dealt with Elliot knowing that he was dealing with the mastermind, him like pushing the mastermind off the ledge, which is basically throwing himself off the ledge at Coney Island with the hopes that maybe if he wakes up in the hospital, he's going to wake up as the real deal. uh, And that is not what happens. Nice try trying to reset that. Um, But it also makes me think about some of the, like, some of like the other, like, clever moments where Elliot and Mr. Robot were used um, in concert with one another. Like I'm thinking about the season premiere and um, when we're in Grand Central Station and all of the Freddie Lomax stuff and we're spending so much of yeah, we're spending so much of the Flomax time beginning with Mr. Robot before we get to Rami Malik. And it's like Christian Slater is in Grand Central. He's in the big hall, uh, and he's like following Freddie Lomax from a distance. And what that comes to be is like him, you know, that's, that's the show visually manifesting like security cameras and, uh, the fact that Elliot has owned the station. Um, but what, what that, what that also is, what that also means in the function of Mr. Robot as he pertains to Elliot is like that would be Defense, right? Like that's playing defense. You're you're on the monitors. You're on the security system. You're watching out for dark army. You're protecting yourself. Uh, so even in that function, Mister Robot is absolutely functioning more as protector than he is as muscle. So we often think about Mister Robot as the muscle, right? As the as the greaser, as the as the as the bullet man, uh, as the gunman. Um, and here we're getting a moment where he's he's not that. He's he's playing that eye in the sky type of role, and it makes you even think about those moments when he was the muscle. Why is he doing that? It's as a protective measure. Uh, More often than not, I do think that those moments are going to hold up. It's not going to hold up all the way across the board. Like, I'm thinking about the Romero stuff from Season 1 when Mr. Robot shows up and holds the gun at Romero. Um, Why would Mr. Robot have to protect Elliot from that if Elliot's already in mastermind
1: mode in this moment? I think a lot of those are Mr. Robot trying to make sure the mission goes through, though. And I think that is to get rid of the mastermind. You know the mastermind. Right, right. We got uh, let's, let's
0: let's do the thing. Let's right. get the thing done. Let's get it done right. fast. Yep. Let's get it done cleanly. I don't care if
1: blow up a building. I don't care if I have to pull a gun or Romero and get him back to the damn keyboard. I don't want the mastermind around anymore. Let's get him out of here. Here's how we're gonna do it. Let's get this mission done. Yeah. 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 So yep, there's yep. some so- of that. And Magda even says right to Mr. Robot, like you have indulged him too much, or. You know, you you're you're, pl- you're you're really just letting this go on. To this is dragging on this mission stuff, and you have really indulged him. Mister Robot admits it. Like, yeah, I I have. You know, like I've played along with this mastermind guy. Is ultimately what he's saying there. Um, I thought we had. I mean, we had a good piece of feedback from Dana Newman. I think when we're talking about the bits uh, as being part of the whole, um, Dana said, I often thought about how Elliot had this superhero aspect to him that seemed at times a bit extreme and clearly motivated by something deeper. The fact that he did all of this as the mastermind because of how much he loved the host Elliot is just so emotional. Think of all the pain the mastermind at Elliot endured. In his mission to keep the host Elliot safe, as he worked to try and improve the world around him, I think that's so incredibly beautiful. And, and I and I agree with Dana in that way that that sounds a, a lot like a protector. It sounds a lot like the thing that Mister Robot was doing. Well, Mister Robot was doing it uh, as a one kind of way, and he was willing to resort to these things you're talking about, like with Romero and the gun. The mastermind was also uh, willing to stick his neck out and doing the things that he was willing to do throughout all in pursuance of this mission whose sole goal was ultimately to make the world a better place for the host Elliot to live in and it was ultimately in this finale his realization that he had done that yeah through his mission but mainly through building the relationship with Darlene uh, that made the mastermind realize mission accomplished like i can leave now my world my goal of making this world a better and safer place for this host uh, where he can be less angry and he can be less threatened by what's happening around him it's clean i did it my mission is accomplished and i can leave now uh so I like that there are these because they are all part of the same being and because there are parts of each of them in all of them. Their missions are at times, uh, they seem at odds, but they're also, uh, working together really because they're all part of the host. And there are those, there's really beautiful things like Dana is articulating in the analysis of that. I'm wondering, Josh, um, how do you feel just generally speaking about Darlene's role in this? Because we got a lot of feedback about Darlene's relationship. It seemed to me at least like they really centered Darlene at the at the at the at the middle of this relationship with Elliot, I think really starting at the end of season three, where their emotional bond with the Kevin McAllister stuff was important. By the end of season four, it is the single most important thing in the entire series from a character relationship standpoint, more important even than Elliot and Mr. Robot. Um, Do you think that that was the plan all along? Or do you think they found something with Carly Chaikin and the performance there that they really wanted to to, uh, extrapolate on and build toward?
0: I expect that that played a big role. Um, Like, I I wouldn't be surprised if... Angela was going to play a bigger role in this stuff eventually, down the line. Um, although Elliot doesn't have the same issue where he doesn't know who Angela is. So the fact that that bit about Darlene is included in the first season suggests to me that she was always going to be important. Whether or not she was going to be kind of the key uh, is another question, especially given Angela's role in that dream sequence that ends up being uh, either you know planned out this way or retconned, however you want to say it. I don't think either way is bad um to to be retrofitted into into the the finale's version of revisiting the dream sequence um I can imagine the scenario where Angela was going to be. That person that was gonna that was gonna be able to wake Elliot up, um, but I think the story brought us in the direction where it's Elliot and Darlene. It would seem potentially some other factors may have made it harder for for Elliot and Angela to be in the same space. Uh, certainly, the story. Um, I think that they sold it this way at the very least. And when I mean when what I mean by they sold it, I mean that they did a very effective job of earning um, this and, and presenting it in a very compelling way and using it as great dramatic fuel that. Angela's story ended um, in a in a horrible but um, earned place. Um, that Darlene, being the person who who played this role of waking Elliot up, um, whether or not it was the plan, I don't know. Um, does it make a lot of sense given everything else that we got in this series? Absolutely, yeah.
1: Darlene is is certainly present uh, in at least we think so in child form with Frere Jacques in that dream sequence. Although I believe. That the same person we saw in the alternate world on the scooter, who's a little older, is the same actress who played the younger Darlene in that first sequence. Uh, I think that uh, we interpret that she played Darlene. Beryl had observed, Josh, a little bit of what you were observing. Uh, Beryl wrote in and said, we were presented early on that Angela was the one who could always distinguish between protagonist Elliot and Mr. Robot. Uh, And I'm sure you're recalling that, Josh, from the beginning of season two, when she can tell from his eyes who is who. Uh, So beyond just sensing that he was behaving differently, as seen in the flashback, did Angela know on the same level that Darlene knew that the real Elliot was not, in fact, who she was interacting with? Angela says that she can tell it's Mr. Robot because he makes eye contact. Does this mean real Elliot doesn't uh, doesn't either or that she's aware of the change as it has occurred within Elliot? In short, how much did Angela know? Josh, you alluded uh, to some other factors. I don't know how much you want to get into those. Um, but we had Angela in this final season. We didn't have a ton of content between Angela and Elliot. As I said, I think the Darlene stuff is really evolving over the course of season two and three. Uh, we talked already about the wordless moment uh, when Darlene gets him out of jail. She's She and Angela are the ones who visit him in jail besides Gideon um, in season three, of course, the Kevin McAllister do you want to talk about it? They make the pact to avenge each other if something were to happen to the other one. Um, they have been so close throughout the series. So I don't know that it was foisted with Darlene at the end, but it is so great that it's Darlene. Is there another version of this show uh, or, or that has Angela in it or do you think everything that happened with Angela happened because of story? Or, or do you want to talk any more about what you No,
0: I think, to? I, I think, like, I think, like, a, a split the difference a little bit. I mean, like, the, 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 the talk of the town. And I am saying this as somebody who cannot weigh in on this with any level of authority whatsoever, other than it seems that Rami Malek and Porsche Doubleday were potentially a romantic item and then no longer were. Uh, and there has been a lot of speculation of, like, how much does that play a role in Angela not being on the show anymore? No. No way to say. No way to say. Right. Uh, truly no way to make an official ruling on the field there, other than speculation, which I'm not really comfortable doing. Um, I think if that was a factor, what I'm trying to say is, I think that the show steered into that in a way that really worked for me. I think that the show steered into, if they were losing a major piece from the board, uh, a way that made a lot of sense to me. But I also do think that, even aside from that, and the reason why I believe... It it's, it's as earned as it is, is what's the version of this season where Angela is still alive, is an active force in the universe of Mr. Robot, and is not telling Elliot more specifically what she saw and what White Rose showed her. And having to to say that means having to give true reality to some degree to what it is White Rose is doing instead of what we're left with by the end of the show, which is questions. We don't know uh, what would have happened if... Like, would White Rose's machine have actually worked? She talked about parallel dimensions. She talked about parallel realities merging into one. That was certainly her plan. The show doesn't have to worry about whether or not that would have worked because it just blows up the thing and the thing doesn't matter what matters is it works as a plot device to confuse us as viewers into briefly thinking that maybe we're in another universe so that we're blindsided when we realize we're actually inside of elliot's head and actually the elliot that we've been with isn't fully elliot um that's what works about it i don't know how you get that as effectively with Angela in the direction the show had taken Angela. And more than anything, I think the, the direction that Angela ended up going in as the story of Mr. Robot elaborated from feature film script into sprawling television epic odyssey, uh, that I think Angela's arc was probably one that was a little bit more um, fast and loose, and probably uh, evolved in a more natural, organic way than a carefully plotted arc like Elliot. And I, I think that there was probably organic, natural growth to Elliot's arc as well. But much like the mastermind himself, there had to be a very big level of control over the Elliot arc in order to make that story turn make so much sense. So you can do a lot of work with the Elliot character if you're Sam Esmail in the writer's room, knowing what the goalposts are there. I wouldn't be surprised if those goalposts are blurrier where it comes to Angela, that they have a sense that they can um, have her fulfill this basic story uh, purpose by the end of the season, that Darlene ends up Filling, and then finding that the direction that they've written Angela in is to get her to that level, gonna be hard. It's gonna be right. hard without right. tipping some hands that, they, that they, they can't tip. Like, it makes a lot more sense now why we never learned about what White Rose's full thing was or why we never found out what Angela saw because the, sh- the show never wanted us to really know for sure. And I've said all along the way, if you listen to these podcasts, am I, uh, like, how am I gonna feel about all this? It's really dependent on the answer and what they give us. And so what they gave us is it doesn't matter... Unless it impacts Elliot directly, I'm, I'm very satisfied with what we got. This is the level of ambiguity I like. I know that this is the kind of thing that can rub some viewers the, the fully wrong way. And I know that there's some people out there that are really unsatisfied with Mr. Robot maybe taking less of a stance on the sci fi qualities of it all. I'm very happy with how they delivered it because they didn't deliver it necessarily in a way that says it one way or the other. They delivered it in a way that allows me to say, yeah, the machine was bullshit. What mattered more was that White Rose believed in it and White Rose was a sad and damaged individual and this was her way of coping with her life um, and she believed in this thing but it also opens the possibility of like, what if it had worked? What if Elliot didn't figure out how to nuke the game and nuke the <laughs> machine? Um, all of which is to say, like, they couldn't have gone in that direction with Angela without really going there, I think. So whether or not there were mitigating circumstances beyond uh, behind Portia Doubleday leaving the show or her and Elliot not being in as many scenes together as maybe people would have liked. Uh, I think that it was handled well. And I think that it probably had to go down fairly similarly to this. Like the other option is she's just hanging out in that mansion all season long and it's actually Philip Price's and it's not some Dark Army sting trap.
1: Well, and the stuff with Darlene did not come out of nowhere, right? It feels so natural. People were so thrilled with that ending uh, and the fact that it is Darlene, uh, so this is not a character they foisted in at the end. It's not like it's Olivia sitting there. Uh, Darlene, uh, we got, we got a lot of, uh, feedback about, uh, and Brent Showerman, for example, says, wow, Carly Chaikin is so good. I love how central yeah. Darlene ended up being to the entire story. I'm sure there are a lot that we will see on rewatch that we didn't notice before the finale. Uh, Brent wanted to know if there was anything that came to mind specifically might, we might see in a different light now that we know the full extent of Elliot and Darlene's relationship and how central she was. Um, I, as I said, I do think there's a lot in season four, but if you go back and you think about season three, there's a lot there. There's a lot in season two uh, when she's the one who comes to visit him in jail along with Angela. When she's the connection, she's the one waiting for him when he gets out. Uh, she's the one who has to come to grips with her own role in this, not running uh even there at Boston Logan at the end of uh that episode a few episodes ago in season four. um It is her own choice to stay, keeping in mind, of course, Darlene also had her own stories with Cisco and everything that was going on with her and Dom uh She has still been so connected to Elliot what we've seen reinforced throughout is that i and she says it in this season like all of the stuff that you pulled off, all of the good stuff that you pulled off, you did it with me uh, and even when Elliot doesn't realize it's her in season one, it's such an emotional moment when he does realize it, but even before he's realized that, when he's at the bottom of his uh, barrel with Vera and everything that's happening with Shayla it's Darlene he calls uh, for a bailout and to try to get help um, it, is, it is Darlene throughout that is connected to Elliot in the way and I think it will be very interesting to track their relationship Kendall Roy uh, fan club also tweeted, why do you think uh, Darlene Darlene had so much animosity toward their mom um, if she wasn't actually how angry Elliot portrayed her. I think she probably was. I think Darlene had a lot of those same experiences with uh, and with Elliot and with their parents, we don't think. Ultimately, I, I don't think that the show is suggesting that she experienced everything that Edward Alderson uh, did, um, but she certainly had the same mom. Uh, and I think that that mom is a is not a fake version. I think the the Magda that we're seeing um, that's your impression, right? That the Magda we we, we the Magda we are seeing the angry, abusive Magda uh, is not a made up version of Magda. That that is who she was, and it in and it's that impression in part because of how much Darlene can't stand her.
0: I am a little confused on it still. Um I I, I think that the fact that Darlene doesn't stand, can't stand Magda definitely feeds into that idea. Uh but I I can't rule out the possibility. It's hard to reconcile what, uh, Elliot Krista, <laughs> I don't know if we want to come up with a better word for her, uh, you know, uh, says inside of Elliot's brain at the end about how he created the mother as a coping mechanism to, to make himself feel like he, he, deserved all of this. Um how do you how do you reconcile that with the um you know the the woman who is described at the start of this season in episode 2 after Magda dies, she says your mom was such a nice woman. Uh and then how do you resolve that against Darlene's experience of her? Uh, Magda walks away from Mr. Robat as one of the the most complicated characters uh, emotionally for me still.
1: Thinking back, I believe in that same episode when Darlene gets Elliot when he's been released from jail, um, I I don't know if it's that one, but Darlene talk. Maybe it's in it. Maybe it's in it one. Maybe it's the Halloween episode where there is a there is a scene where Darlene talks about how when she went to visit their mom, all she did was talk shit about their dad, and that made Darlene angry. Um, and that I think is in part because Magda knows, and Darlene doesn't. Uh, and that alone, uh, could be proof that maybe Magda wasn't as bad as we thought if Darlene's problems with her, uh, rest a lot in, in terms of, uh, her being bad about Edward Alderson, who we now know was a monster. Um, I think that there is some, there is some backstory of Darlene, of course, how, she was kidnapped and she was so happy to be kidnapped, so happy to be away from her family. Uh, so it, it was, it's complicated at best, as you said. That's the, that's the Facebook, uh, relationship status with Magda Alderson, uh, is it's complicated, right? Because, we don't ultimately know um, what the, the true true is uh, regarding Magda but I think there's a reason to believe um, that she was not great uh, whether it was the version that we have uh, what is that like the Sigourney Weaver Ghostbusters uh, possessed <laughs> right. Krista um, with the updo a little bit and the uh, flowing shirt there there um, is or, there
0: is no Krista only Zul
1: yes the Zul Krista uh, so if the Zul Krista is, is on point about that and she he's, she's just a manifestation or if there's Some more reality to that. Um, I I do think that there is some complication there with Magda. Josh, uh, earlier you said something which triggered a piece of feedback that I wanted to get to. Uh, Just in general, um, there are a lot of people, you were talking about it in the context of White Rose's machine, uh, but I wanted to talk about it just overall because we had people uh, we had a lot of feedback about wh- where do you think people are, or what do you think this show was to people at the end of the day with all the theories. Uh, we got a lot of feedback about eleven sixteen. We got a lot of feedback about the three days after the hack. I think some people were frustrated that some of these things weren't answered. Um, I know that uh, you give a very eloquent explanation for why uh, I'm, I'm I'm on the same page with you. Why the the white rose answer doesn't ultimately matter. But I'm wondering if you felt like um, the show is still on point about everything else. I mean, people spend a lot of time with the theories. So I'm wondering, Tipsy Goat said, "Do you just wondering what your thoughts are about fans who spend so many hours making theories and going through each episode and scene looking for clues and answers. I think many of them would be the ones disappointed in their finale. No alternate universe, no time travel. Angela's really dead. Tyrell's really dead. White Rose is just delusional. Tipsy Goat says, I'm not knocking their pastime. But maybe by investing so much time supporting theories that don't pan out, um, the finale doesn't land as well. Uh, we obviously engage so much in the theorizing here, Josh. Uh, and it certainly wouldn't be the same without it. I know we frequent Reddit, uh, threads and things like that. I guess I'm just wondering for you, um, does the show deliver on all fronts at the end of the day?
0: Yeah. So I think what's really important about this isn't like, don't do this. Stay away from Reddit. Stay away from the theories. D- get out of here. These Use are dangerous the- waters. <laughs> what is this? For? The, the theory, the, the theory stream is a super fun site. If you touch <laughs> it, you'll die. Like it's, it's like it's not toxic. It's not toxic unless you make it so. Um, and I think, I think for, uh, the, the healthiest way to engage this stuff, if you want to engage this stuff, at the mega level that causes you to seek out, you know, multiple podcasts about a show, uh, you know, podcasts that are longer than the episodes of the thing uh, more often than not. Um, and certainly like Reddit boards and, and everything like that. And you're freeze framing and you're doing the John Locke thing. of we're going to have to watch that again, and you're studying the Blastor map of it all. Um, and you want to know what 1116 is. And uh, you want to know what Tyrell's deal is and and why he's behaving this way. And you're looking into alternate universes. That's all well and good. But you need to stay, you can't like feel like there is a conclusive answer. Uh, I think like look no further than um, our conversations over the course of this series, uh, this season rather, about the other one and how many different times that shifted uh, you know we we came out of episode 2 being like uh, here's a fa- like we've got a good feeling I think the other one is us you can imagine the scenario where we're going to be sitting in that boardroom at the end of the season that chair is not he's not ready for that chair it's for us and like we batted that around back and forth for a while uh, we could still like feel like there were loose threads there of like well if it's he then that's not all inclusive of the audience that's a little limiting but it still feels like we're going to have more of a role and there have been bread Crumbs for something like that all along the way. Um, you get to the reveal of 407, and it's a, a, a heavy reveal. It's a it's a series redefining moment um, where you understand Elliot's pain in such a more specific way, and it's so hurtful and it's so upsetting and puts so many different moments from across the series into new light. Uh, and even then, it was another moment where we're like, all right, so the other one is probably his father. Like, he's got to deal with his father. Magnus talking to little Elliot about the other one because she dare not speak his. Name because he's so he's so fearsome. So we're going to go to that boardroom and it's going to be them sitting across from the father. And so like we were now hip to that idea. That seems like a, a something worth following. Instead, what we get is the other one is Elliot. The other one is the Elliot we've been watching the entire time. The real Elliot is is asleep. Um, all of these different personalities are factors within Elliot. These are pieces of Elliot. Um, these are parts of him that make up the whole. And they are not working in tandem. They are not working. In their fully integrated way, and that is the message of the of the series: is you have to, you know, you can, you you got to try and overcome this stuff, and and you know, put put your different pieces working together, all of that stuff. But like, you can still see how some of what we've been tracking makes sense. You know, we do basically end in the boardroom. Uh, You know, it's it and and it is like the you know this moment where you've got four people there, and it's the other one is there. It's not Elliot. It's our Elliot. It's the other. Elliot is our guy. And so there were still things that we could be tracking that were going to work. But you have to keep your heart open to the possibility that the thing that you think you're tracking, it's not going to land exactly the way that you want it. As long as the way that it lands is satisfying and interesting. And if you can go back and you can puzzle out what works. Um, I think all of that stuff is still very worthwhile. I think what Tipsy says, this idea about high expectations uh, and investing so much time, those are two ideas that I think Think um, could be dangerous together. I don't think it's necessarily dangerous to invest so much time uh, or to have lofty expectations of a story, especially one that you're investing heavily in. But you also have to have this openness to the story being what the story is. And you can make your value judgments from there. Um, but I, I think that you can you can still go online and dig deep into this stuff and find meaning in everything with White Rose and the alternate universes and what that was proposing um, in the thematic content that it was making you think about. Um, none of that goes away just because a story ends the way that it does. At least it doesn't for me.
1: It doesn't for me either. I, I mean, I understand... That it would for others. Uh, I get it. I've been there. Uh, and I know you, Josh, as a person who is podcasting currently about Lost, uh, a show which invented for me the the concept of Lindelofing and going down these rabbit holes and uh, theorizing to no end and being disappointed by things that uh, you theorize about that don't come true. and having to readjust your calculus uh, and... Look at things from a character lens instead of a plot lens. I, I I understand people's frustration about this. I don't sense that it is greatly widespread with Mister Robot. I think that uh, any conversations about that uh, are are kind of being. uh, It's not. It's. I think it's being blown out of proportion a little bit by people being consider or considering that people are really upset with this finale. I gotta say, I read through uh, several dozen. I don't know how many. uh, It was over fifty. Pieces of email feedback we got um, on this episode, and there just there weren't too many people who were flat out angry about uh, the finale. There were a couple people for parts of it didn't work as well, or who had questions about making some of it work. But I just don't sense that there's a great backlash. What I do sense, though, uh, is you talk about theorizing. Uh, and why theorizing, you know, you're not, you're not saying don't do that. Uh, I'm wondering if there are times to draw that line. Uh, and I'm not trying to trigger you here because we got several people emailing about this and it is the show makes a very clear choice to end on a first person point of view shot. Uh, first we see Ellie at the eye uh, with a tear in it. Uh, we go out of that, uh, eye to a first person point of view shot looking up at Darlene clearly from the hospital bed, Darlene looking right into the camera, a.k.a. right at us, and saying, hello, Elliot. So we had several people writing in, including the great Jeremiah Panhorst, wanting to know uh, that were we, in fact, the full Elliot. Jeremiah says, in my opinion, we did represent the full Elliot. Sam's final shot sold me on this. The fact that he had us in the full Elliot shoes and the line saying, hello, Elliot, I believe that Darlene was now saying hello to us. You could also make the arg- argument that the difference in the ID showed us uh, is this crazier on point. Mike Krulio wrote the same thing. Um, Fitz uh, says, you know, it wasn't us, but it was us, but also it wasn't us. Uh, it was the normal, well adjusted Elliot. And it was Elliot who was ready to face the world. Uh, I, one of Brent Showerman wrote in and said, What do you guys make of our role in the whole story? We officially know we're not the other one, but we still played a huge part and we were explicitly mentioned by Krista in the finale. I think a lot of what you guys posited in the 402 podcast about the audience still tracks. We, like the other one, weren't ready to see the whole picture yet. We had to go through our own journey to be ready to come up with uh, and come to terms with the ending. I love how we were always playing a part in the story, and the hat tip the audience got at the end. I thought this was a great piece of feedback sent to me by Linda. Uh, By the way, up the reds, Linda. Uh, Linda said, totally obvious comment, but the thing I love the most is that all of us are parts of Elliot and are just as individual as the mastermind is. Our interpretation of art and what we take from it is our connection with the host. Whatever we make of the art exemplifies our individual truths. We can all see art differently, but the viewing of life through the artist's eyes brings us together by touching the deepest parts of our humanity. So I hated leaving as much as the mastermind did and cried for myself as much as for him thought that was a really great piece of feedback. Uh, I want to know, I Josh, that. I want to know because we're so wrapped up in this story in the ways that uh, Linda encapsulates there, uh, in the ways that uh, others have written in, uh, as Brent was pointing out, as, as you were one to observe that we might have been the other one. Sam makes the very clear choice to end with that shot. Uh, do you think there's something to the theory about uh, us being uh, the real Elliot or or where where are we on that because of that shot?
0: So I, I wouldn't call it a theory so much as I would call it an interpretation, and I think it's a valid interpretation Um because it doesn't impact the, the the story that much to me. Like the it doesn't impact one way or the other. Like the whatever happened happened of it all, and that that's like what's critical to me is that 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 that's where I get triggered is this idea of like uh so wait none of this was real, none of this happened. The the cyber bombings weren't real, and E Corp wasn't real, and F Society wasn't. Real. All that stuff happened. All of that's real. All of that's real. Darlene says it. It's in the text of the show. Uh, I guess if you really want to believe that, like, it's all just, like, super in your head, like, go for that. Fine, if you want to. I will never read it that way. There's just no universe where I'm reading this show uh, where it was all inside of Elliot's head the whole time. I think there's just too much on the show that tells you otherwise.
1: Uh, <laughs> Emma Rose said, I will she, tell she, Emma, you Emma Rose I, wrote in and said, I'm trying to convince my boyfriend that only half watched the whole series that he wasn't in a coma the whole time. So you can shout that out right there. Ugh. Yeah,
0: like, no way! No way! Not for me! No thank you! And if you want to, like, die on that hill, uh, go there. I shall not, I shall not visit you on it. But this version (laughs) of the ending, the the
1: interpretations of the ending you're saying doesn't change, uh, that context. No. All these things can happen and we can still be in the story. Sure, sure. Like if, if
0: what that final shot meant to you is we are Elliot Alderson, um, not only do I endorse that for you, um i i i love that interpretation i think it's beautiful it's not necessarily how i see it but it, i i do think it's beautiful and i do think that there's definitely an idea in play um that uh at the, at the very end when when the mastermind and i don't like calling him that <laughs> you know like it's still hard for me to call him that run run
1: rudolph out of all the reindeer
0: I don't know. Just to, to, to separate, to separate them out, I think you have to call them the mastermind. Um, and the mastermind says like, you know, we're still here. We're the best parts of Elliot because we stayed. Um, you know, it, it, it is, it does feel like it's a line that's speaking to us. Uh, and it is a line about, you know, if there's a message at the end of the day, uh, this idea of like, be the change that you want to see in the world, and um, incorporate your anger, and incorporate your your self-protection, um, and, and all of these different things like integrate yourself, become the real you. Uh, in that way, by the end of the show when we're waking up, the hope I think is that we are whatever the real Elliot is for us, we are that. Um, so believing that it's our eye that's opening up, um, that that works. I only read it as thematic. Um, if you want to view it as literal, go for it. That that that's fine. Uh, it's it's not the way that I see it, but I, I can see it stylistically. I believe in it thematically. I will say I do believe that's Rami Malek's eye. Uh, just in doing a lot of eye looking, just peeping at those peepers, uh, I do believe. <laughs> Uh, that that's, that's Robbie Malik's eye. The other thing I will say just quickly because you brought it up is that moment and, and we got this wrong. Uh, and you know, there was so much going on that it's not, it's not hard to get stuff wrong here. Uh, it's a complicated finale to process and especially on the time that we had to do it. Um, that when Dom looks at, uh, Elliot's ID inside of his mind, it's not that she says, uh, this doesn't look like you at all. I think she says something like, uh, you're nothing like him, which is true. You know that that holds it's not like you look like a different person than the person in this i d who's the real Elliot. I believe the line is is actually you're nothing like him
1: right the emily n y c wrote in with a good piece of feedback about that and said, "Okay, so bear with me. Are we to assume the real Elliot doesn't look like our Elliot? This is what I gathered for two reasons." One, when Dom stopped our Elliot and asked for his ID, she said, this looks nothing like you. We now know uh, what you're saying. The line interpretation is not that. A lot of people misheard that. Uh, it is what you said. This person is nothing like you, uh, not looks nothing like you. But Emily's second point, I think, is a little more interesting. When alternate universe Elliot found our Elliot in his apartment, he didn't seem startled that they looked alike. He had no recognition. He only seems to think he looks like the sketches, but not like himself. What do you think of that, Josh?
0: Yeah, I mean I think that that's funny. Um but I think that also like that that version of Elliot is in this monotonous loop where I think his ability to process harm is limited. <laughs> you know, I think his <laughs> his ability to process bad news is uh severely impaired. Uh so I think for him to like have that moment of like, "Oh my god, you're me." Like I just don't know that that rates for for this Elliot.
1: Speaking of that loop uh, and everything in it, um, all the cars there were white. Andrew, you wrote in and said all the cars were white except the black Cadillac Elliot got from the same parking lot where he missed a few days. Are we to think that the Elliot mastermind spent those days creating the fake world for real Elliot? Is that the connection? Uh, I know that there were a couple visible cars that were non-white, but it was a very clear choice to make almost all of the visible cars in the alternate world white. Um, but what do you make, Josh, of the connection, the black Cadillac, the Tyrell uh, Escalade, uh, and the fact that we made it back to that parking lot, and the fact that we never did find out about what happened in the days after the Five Night hack? It does seem, in hindsight, that the show didn't really continue to keep that front and center Uh, Those three days, Uh, it it went into it in season three a little bit when we saw Irving show up uh, in the arcade and give some instructions, Uh, but we didn't really revisit that. Um, uh, Is that a time when because of the uh, maybe feeling like the mission was executed because the mastermind is there to execute a mission? Is that a a time period where maybe the real Elliot took over for a few days?
0: Antonio, you may not like this answer. I don't really care. (laughs) I mean, I really I really don't. I And I don't think that I've ever really cared that much about the missing time. I guess my, my feeling on those three days was always going to be like, if there was something really important for us to know from those three days, we're going to find it out. But otherwise, the passage of three days, what that really serves is Elliot wakes up in the middle of dystopia. Uh, and so he's very disoriented. He doesn't know where Tyrell is. And the world has changed. And it's changed because of him. Um, that he fired a bullet and everything's different now um and what the three days serves is that establishes enough time in the world for everything to spiral out um that's what matters that that's what mattered to me then i think that's what matters to me most about it now like for there to be some scenes that we missed of of what elliot could have been doing i think in light of like everything we know about elliot now i don't I don't know what the really compelling, interesting thing that we could have seen from those three days even looks like to me necessarily. Well, I, I think um, but I, I, th- I think that that might be the area that you're talking about like, from before. Like that's where the dangers of, of theorizing are. If like you get really hung up on that is a thing that you need to see, uh, you know, that way can, can lie some danger. And I don't want to stand here and say like, I'm not guilty of getting like frustrated by uh, a reveal never coming or a reveal coming and it not landing. Well, um, it's just this, this was not one for me that I I really cared that much about.
1: And and there there were people who wrote in and specifically called that out to me because I did invest more time in that than you. And for me, I think it's a totally, it's not that I don't care. I care. But I think that the fact that I care uh, is easily surmised or easily uh, conclude. There's a conclusion that's easily made there, uh, which is that, like I said, the mastermind's job is to complete this mission. At that moment in time, the mission was completed. Uh, the hack was executed. Things were done. Mr. Robot took over for a brief period. Uh, and then I think the real Elliot woke up uh, when Elliot went to sleep uh, after the hack. Uh, and the real Elliot did mundane shit because the real Elliot in, lived in a mundane world. Uh, and ultimately, the the actual Elliot took over. You could write uh, some kind of like uh, deleted scene or alternate reality or, or virtual reality shot like the great uh, VR experience with Mr. Robot, or you could do an Amazon app uh, where you covered those three days with real Elliot. But I think because the Mastermind's mission was this hack, the hack was executed. Uh, he confronted a lot of his we'll always be inside you stuff at the end of that season. Um, but I think that that's clearly he's still dealing with a lot of that stuff. Uh, And so I think it's possible that the real Elliot woke up at that point. And again, if something important happened at that point, like if he went and formed some great plan with Tyrell to do all these things, or there was some key moment, we would have revisited it. I think it's enough for me to say Mastermind existed to execute a mission. The mission was executed. He took a nap. The real Elliot woke up. That's it. Uh, or Elliot just slept for three days is also an acceptable version for me but we never did find that out we never did find out 1116 uh, either Josh I know you're you know it's it's not going to matter to you uh, but do you have any theories about the connections there or do you think uh, like many people wrote in to observe that a lot of the stuff that's in this series are connections or call outs to other pieces of popular culture namely your beloved Twin Peaks the Return or Twin Peaks or David Lynch in general do you think the 1116 is a call out to something else, or just that kind of in the, in the background bait uh, for people to notice uh, that it doesn't have to be connected to some greater explanation.
0: Well, one of the reasons, uh, again, in favor of Reddit, uh, in support of Reddit, in favor of theorizing, uh, is now that we've got everything that the show has to offer uh, in the text of the show... Now we will, you will, you will be checking, you will be talking to people who are watching Mr. Robot for years to come. On message boards or online on Twitter, your friends in real life, whatever it is, that will unearth something new with this new context as part of their armament. Uh, and eleven sixteen is one of them. Like I, I, you know, there have been tons of different eleven sixteen posts online in the wake of the finale of like, oh, it means this now. Uh, this is this is how I read it. Um, that's that's where there's a lot of value in this stuff. Still, um, I think it's it, it matters the most. Insofar as it is thematically rich to the creators of the show. And so it obviously meant a lot to them. How it connects back to you, uh, whether it's, it's Lynchian or it's biblical. I know that, you know, there are, there are some uh, Bible verses that this can relate to and correspond to that are very um, uh, rich in the context of what Mr. Robot had to say. Uh, I think that there's going to be a lot of different things that you can define from the 1116s of it all.
1: Definitely. And it, it, there, there are these connections and those those kind of questions that uh, are out there that I think when you go back and now that you've got the full text, um, you can get into. We joked earlier about, oh, well, don't waste the podcast material for uh, the robot road. Amanda Harmon had written in and wanted to know if the mastermind has no memory of who he was when he was created. How did he remember running away and hiding with Angela? How did he remember their wishing game? Was that Elliot Prime leaking through? And I think now that we know that those things are possible, the answer is yes. Like they're, that, that could easily be what it is. As as I said earlier, I think what we ended up with in this show is an ending that, uh, whether it was fully in the plans from the beginning or not, and I think it was, I tend to believe that it was. They came up with a with an ending that would be explainable, even if it wasn't fully in the plans. Um, one of the things I was struck by, Josh, uh, is when you were interviewing Sam Esmail after the end of season three. He said, uh, in response to you talking about Fernando Vera. Uh, that Fernando Vera was going to play a very important role in the story for season four. Uh, And this was for season four, not the end of the show. Um, That was before they knew that the show was going to end in season four. Uh, He came, brought Vera back into the story knowing exactly what he was going to do, marked it as a very important role. We spent a lot of time theorizing what that would be. We, of course, never theorized (laughs) what it it actually was uh, because why would we? Right, right. absolutely insane. Uh, But this was a very important role. So so, I think there are these ways we can go back and look at what was happening and we can say maybe they didn't have a plan all along. There's every reason to believe that they did have most of this planned uh, as they went throughout, which makes questions like Angela's um, Amanda's, sorry, not Angela's. Angela's someone different. Um, it makes questions like Amanda's really fun to think about. The 1116 of it all is very fun to think about. That maybe uh, Elliot, the mastermind Elliot, saw that clock time in his mom's uh, his mom's room at some point and it stuck with him because it was connected to this real-world version of a person that was also an altar, like maybe that it bled in in that way. There's no real way to say. Um, it was certainly bait for us as fans. Um, maybe the last day of the show, when Elliot wakes up, is one one after all. We have no idea exactly how long he was out or how much time passed in general from the ultimate uh, the the Christmas uh, day heist to the end of the show. We don't really specifically know how much time has passed? So I think it is entirely possible we end on one That is the beginning of the new Elliot. It is the end of the loop, uh, and Elliot has emerged on that day, and that's what eleven sixteen is about. So I'm not totally sure, about uh, that.
0: All about that.
1: Yeah, that's fine with me, and I we don't I don't need it explained any more closely than to think that that could be the case. Uh, I'm fine uh, hanging my hat on the theory that isn't totally there. Um, I, I want to shift gears a little bit here, Josh, as we start to uh, head into the stages of this podcast, just some general stuff. The great Mike Bloom had written in, and Mike had a question, just generally speaking, about all four seasons of Mr. Robot and where we are uh, as we talk about this. Mike wrote in and said, Mr. Robot featured a murderer's row, sometimes quite literal, of people who stood in uh, Elliot, uh, Darlene, and Mr. Robot's way throughout the series. I know that, as Josh quoted frequently, Sam Esmail wanted to characterize those people in a way to show that every person, no matter how flawed, has a core philosophy or mindset driving them. That being said, now that the series is said and done, how would you rank the antagonists of Mr. Robot based on characterization and overall effectiveness to the story? For ranking is too much, even picking a top or bottom three would be fine. This is the list Mike came up with to choose from. White Rose. Vera. Philip Price, Janice, Irving, Ray, and the challenge beast, Terry Colby.
0: (laughs) The challenge beast, Terry Colby. Uh, So we're removing Mr. Robot from this then,
1: right? Mike did not put that on the list, I guess. Yeah, yeah.
0: You know, but he, Mr. Robot's the protector, but is he an antagonist to the mastermind? And the mastermind is the, anti- is the protagonist. Uh, is the mastermind an antagonist? Is he standing in the way of Elliot in the grand scheme of things? Uh, you know, it's a very complicated one to to chew on. I think Edward Alderson as an antagonist is one that emerges uh, late in the series, recolors everything that we come to know about Edward Alderson. Um, I think that that's somebody that you got to put in the rogues gallery as well. Uh, since we, I think ranking them, would be too hard. Uh, I think uh, Irving above Janice as much as I, I, I do enjoy Janice. Irving just as a force in season three uh, was uh, was was more powerful than Janice's role here in season four. Although I loved what that Ashley Atkinson did with that character, and I love seeing her in anything, so I'm, I'm I'm thrilled that she got the chance to to dig into Mister Robin, especially because she was a big fan of the show, as she has said. Um, I think for me. Antonio, <laughs> Mike. This is yeah,
1: Philip Price. And Mike, yeah. Mike. Who's my favorite bad guy? It's uh, it, Philip Price. It's Price. Yeah, if you go back and and I I put myself in my mindset in my everyday life, uh, the Philip Prices of the world are the people I would love to see taken off the board entirely. Uh, I'm definitely one of those rage at the upper one percent of the one percent types. And I would love to see the Philip Price's of the world gone. So it is a great achievement for the show uh, for me to get on Philip Price's side, not just the show. Michael Christopher's performance, uh, so engaging. Obviously, White Rose is also on that level in different ways. Uh, There's some great gifs from the show. B.D. Wong coming down the staircase as Minister Zhang and breaking out into a big grin. Uh, very, very one of my favorites. Uh, some some delicious moments with B.D. Wong as White Rose and that final monologue uh, in the room with Elliot and the discussion. Discussions of hating humanity or not hating humanity—just such phenomenal work. Uh, But I love the way, and we were talking about it with Coridana Fidelio at the end of season three on the podcast we did with Core about what their thoughts were in the the writers' room and if they could get us to a point where we sort of understood uh, a villain's perspective, or we maybe were finding it a little more sympathetic, uh, or understanding the degrees of uh, the characterization, um, then they were doing their job really well, and they certainly turned that screw with Philip Price throughout the series. Uh, it was one type of way at the end of season one, he's presented almost like a Nazi dictator speaking down to the E Corp people after one of his chiefs has killed himself on live TV and Philip Price is basically just like yeah, his family's better off anyway. Like, this is a bad dude at that moment and he's not a likable guy and what he's doing with Angela is highly questionable but by the end of the series, he is a king and we are cheering him and he goes out like a king uh, and his great Great final episode. So I love that. I, I got to say, I'm very intrigued by Ray. I am very intrigued by all of the Ray stuff. now. Know, knowing what we now know about Mr. Robot uh, as a protector and knowing what we now know about Elliot and about how Ray's realization discussions with Elliot about realizing who you are and coming to some terms with that uh, and taking control and all the discussions they have centered around chess. Uh, and the discussions that Ray has with Elliot there, specifically, uh, when Ray is arrested. I'm fascinated to revisit that. Fascinated really to revisit all of season two. But especially the first half of season two, in light of the Protector mastermind reveal and the discussions therein, Ray is such a key part of that, um, that I'm really interested to view uh, everything that happens with Ray now. Certainly a good performance from Craig Robinson, but I think a really interesting character in light of what we now know about the rest of the series. And what I just feel like I'm not sure where my compass will fall in terms of his ability to put all these things together. Certainly are really, really interested to revisit that for sure.
0: Yeah, I think that a lot of season two, even in the rewatch running up to the final season, it was a lot more compelling than I remembered even, you know, I, and I think it's another one of those things where the volume of the, the reputation of something gets so loud. Uh, and then you go back and you look at it, it's like, oh, this is a, this is like dark and it felt weird. And like energetically, it just felt very different from the first season. Um and i i do think that like when you when you go back uh it, in the first watch of it when you only have as far as season two to go and you don't have three and four yet i think that you're probably getting to the end of that season being like man we spent a lot of time really internally with elliot uh, and we didn't really deal with anything that was going on outside well, guess what yeah, turns out that's what the show's about. That's the place. That's <laughs> what. The, that's the place where the show exists at <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. its best. And it's yeah, at its where the sauce you know, is made. So yeah. So. Uh yeah. So, you know, it's Coney Island, Coney Island sausages. It is. Nice. Uh, so I, 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 I would, I'd be, I'd be pretty, uh, excited to go back and, and check that stuff out too. Cause there's a lot of really great internal civil war going on in Elliot's life during, uh, the season two prison days that Craig Robinson is a big part of. Uh, how does that all connect together? Uh, and I already even liked him a, a good amount, uh, on first blush, uh, on, on the most recent rewatch I've done. Uh, and now to go back would be, would be really, really fun.
1: The, definitely. Um, and, and I, I'm, I'm really looking forward to doing that, uh, for, for that reason. There, there are a lot of things, uh, that I'm looking forward to going back and viewing. Uh, we got an email in from Annaline Blue, uh, who pointed out that that song, Touch by Daft Punk, uh, that so memorably plays at the end of episode one of season three as Angela's on the bus talking to Mr. Robot about Mr. Robot and about the world. And about what White Rose may have showed her, and the blackouts are starting, and the song is playing. Some of the lyrics are so on point uh, to the show A Tourist in a Dream. A visitor it seems a half forgotten song, where do I belong? A room within a room, a door behind a door. And these are all lyrics directly from the song, uh, and there are a lot of those moments I think of interpretation throughout that now that we know what uh, what 's going on, um, I think it uh, it it certainly will play differently. Uh, Zach Brooks of course wrote in uh, to talk about how the Mr. Roboto uh, music video itself uh, and the lyrics of the song. Like it, it would almost be Colin Stone said to me, it would almost be surprising if the song itself was not the inspiration for the show in some way uh, because the lyrics. Of yeah, are uh, so absolutely. Important. Yeah.
0: 100%. That's 100%. That's something that's wild. that Yeah, that's something we talked about is like yeah. you can imagine that like the naming of like I would I would expect that the ideas are already in place, the general shape of what uh the story is going to be. But then you get into that bit uh that I think in like cracking story can can often be challenging. It's like uh what do you call the characters? What are the characters' names? What is this thing called? Uh, you know, what, what, what am I gonna name this thing? And as you're like going through it, and like obviously Sam Best Mail has a lot of different pop culture and music touchstones going through, uh, Mr. Roboto comes on. He's like, oh shit, this is Mr. Robot. Oh yeah, we're gonna jam out to a show called Mr. Robot now. And the song even has all of the stuff in it, you know, so it yeah. all makes sense.
1: Yeah, it's great. Uh, it, there are, and there are a lot of, pop cultural touchstones throughout. We talked about the 2001 ending, uh, and there certainly have been references to Fight Club and other things that have been made throughout the show. The show is certainly aware of what it is uh, and its connection. I don't think it's a coincidence they saved that song for the finale. I think it works really well. Uh, so it is one of those things that has these universal tu- universal touchstones that we can point to, music we know, things that are familiar, it is also an intensely personal show. And I think that's the real strength of Mr. Robot, the harmony of those things. Uh, some in that realm, we got a lot of feedback about the personal nature of the show. Joe wrote in and Joe said, the show seems to me to be a journey in to and into recovery. It really reminded me of my own progress through a 12 step program. I'm a very analytic person and I had my own version of the mastermind to deal with control or or rather the illusion of control really F's us up. I absolutely love the mastermind choosing to go through the door, joining the other personality shards in the theater and sitting down to watch. Finding the watcher behind our eyes is how we figure out who we are, how we live in the present moment. I thought that was a a really great piece of feedback from Joe. Uh, and I think we love that. We do see that through Elliot, right? There, there It is this journey into uh, self-discovery and recovery. Uh, we see a lot of stages of this. Uh, we see how self will run riot, uh, and we see that through Elliot, and specifically the mastermind part of his personality. Uh, so it, it's not surprising that it's resonating with people who have been on a similar journey uh, or, a, or their own personal journey. Um, I think the resonance is interesting in how it can sound differently uh, as you're watching the show. A.J. Mass, our great friend A.J. Mass, Uh, who has been on this podcast uh, with us. Uh, AJ says, I'm shook. The thing is, for three seasons, I felt like I was identifying with Elliot. I've lost my parents. I battled depression. It's always been hard for me to fight my introverted nature, etc. It's only towards the tail end of the season, this season, however, that I realized I've been darling all along. I'm not going to get all DSM-5 here, but my mother had multiple personality disorder. It was never called DID back then. Actually, it was never called anything at all, as nobody in my family ever discussed it or felt the need to explain this to me as a child. But once I got old enough to figure out what it was, I knew. After I moved away from home, post-college, whenever she'd call me on the phone, I never knew who would be on the line. Sometimes I'd have a conversation with her. Sometimes I'd hang up because I didn't like interacting with the particular personality who called. Like with Elliot... Most people interacting with her couldn't tell the difference, but I could. So when Darlene's in the hospital room with the mastermind and basically saying, I knew it was you and not him, and I kind of like you better, it resonated with me in a way that I didn't expect. Uh, and I that really resonates with me as well as someone wow, who has, yeah, had, Sam. Yeah, has had people in their life um, who... Uh, you have to learn to relate to or you have to accept your relations uh, with on some level. Um, just the idea of supporting someone who is going through their own struggles uh, and and having to find your acceptance of that uh, is something that I part of the reason that I really like the Darlene character and why for me it fits so great that it is her at the end. Uh, is because she has had her own struggles, uh, and she's had her own way to deal with this. Jennifer wrote in and said, Darlene has her own mental issues, anxiety and panic attacks, and also has a brother with mental illness, DID. Elliot, by his own admission, is not the best, best brother to her. He was his angry alter personality for a long time. Can you discuss the multifaceted aspect of Darlene's character with layers of a mentally ill person having to support a more unstable mentally ill family member? And I just, I just think we're all in this, man. Like this is, this is all of us. Like this. This is alive. Life, with the doesn't, way that we life doesn't. Life doesn't. Right. Life doesn't
0: stop, right? right? You know, life right. doesn't stop. Like, yep. you know, you're 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 caught in whatever snare it is that you're in, whatever that is for you, whatever that is, whether it's addiction or it's a mental illness or uh, it's a it's a catastrophe that's occurred, uh, or it's or it's something mundane. You've got a flat tire, <laughs> you know. Like, there's don't say that you're My snared. You're in yeah. You're ensnared. You're ensnared by something, yeah. and you still have to deal with whatever is out of reach of the trap. Like you still have to somehow like drag the ball and chain with you and keep moving forward. And it's really, really freaking hard. And Darlene really does embody that in a beautiful way here in this final episode. Um, and and I I do even now. And it's great. Like just a couple of episodes later, I think that it makes the episode even more powerful. The final big Darlene episode that we got a little while ago. Um, it, that final moment in the bathroom is just like so much more powerful now where she's like, no, I have to stay. I have to go back to Elliot. And she goes and she stays and she gives us and gives him what we get. And it's beautiful and it's powerful. And that's so hard for her. And she's having to, to do that and deal with that when she is also fighting something that is so hard for her. Uh, it's very powerful and it is intensely human. Very, very human. You don't have to uh, be somebody who either has mental illness or relates to mental illness, I think, to feel what that struggle feels like. To be struggling and still have to contend with yet more struggle. That is life. And it's hard. And it's tough. And when Mr. Robot was at its best, it really made you feel all of that. But also, when it was at its very best... Which here it is at the end. It made you realize that that fight is worth it. That that fight can be fruitful. Um, that maybe some fights are worth ditching. Uh, but other fights are, are worth that struggle and are, are worth slugging at, slugging it out and getting in the mud and getting those knuckles bloody and, and, and getting deep and, 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 and gritty with your monster, whatever that may be. And sometimes the answer to that isn't a fist fight sometimes the answer to that is grabbing it by the hand and letting you know it's there, that you're there, that you're real, this is real. Um, I thought that how this show landed everything in that regard was staggeringly beautiful.
1: Yeah. And I don't want to be a full-on golly boy here, and I can't necessarily pronounce the word, but had it just been an incredible depiction of mental illness, it would have been enough. Uh, And it wasn't just that. It was also a depiction of how people have to live Uh, with that sort of thing in their life in, in the presence of their loved ones. Uh, and the message of Darlene's Unconditional Love uh, is something as far as teaching about unconditional love that they talk about in, in lots of support groups uh, that talk about living with people with these kinds of illnesses, whether they're addiction related or whether they are um, people uh, that are struggling with Alzheimer's or decisions or or conditions that affect uh, their, their, their mental state. Um, you love unconditionally. Uh, and the message of that is right there in the show when Elliot's giving the monologue. Sometimes the way you change the world. Um, It's just by showing up, by being there, by being present, and then by being present and by being consistent and by being there, um, you help change someone for the better. Uh, And by doing that, um, isn't that changing the world? And uh, that monologue really resonates uh, not just with Elliot and all the alters and how they changed the host Elliot and how they made him finally got him to a position where he could finally wake up and be ready to face the world. Uh, it is certainly present with Darlene and how she stayed present for Elliot, how she made the affirmative choice not to run away, uh, how she supported him in all the ways she did throughout this show, uh, from it's okay, you don't have to talk, um, to, uh, asking him to talk. Do you want to talk about it? All those things, uh, that she did, um, even in, at exact opposites like that, uh, were certainly why I think ultimately the mastermind's mission was accomplished. Now I mean, he woke up knowing. He woke up knowing that he had done the thing, um, that the plant was stopped, his code work. He didn't really know it, but he woke up because he wanted to see exactly that that mission had worked. And that mission was accomplished, but it was because of Darlene that he was actually able to go back to sleep, that he was actually able to let Elliot come back. It wasn't because the plot was destroyed, the, the plant was uh, destroyed or the machine was destroyed. I, it was because he realized that the world without Darlene in it for the host Elliot was not the right world. It was not the best world. That Darlene had to be present in his world for it to be his version of the best world. That's even including the the, the version where he's almost ready to get married to Angelie. Has a great job. He's going to land the big clients. His dad is not a monster. All of that. He needs the support of his sister because he saw and learned through his actions of the mastermind how important and valuable that was. Um, he really felt that uh, as a person, and I think. For the people who have struggled um with feeling a little bit uh, alienated from the show because the Elliot that we were watching was not ultimately our Elliot, right, because we were watching a version of Elliot, we weren't watching our Elliot – I think what we, what we have to consider is the fact that we were watching a version of the Elliot, uh, who was part of our Elliot, who was part of the, our Elliot was part of uh, the host Elliot just as Mr. Robot was uh, and this is from Matt Campbell Matt says, I'm still processing everything so I'm not sure where I land in the finale right now, however I've been struggling to shake the feeling that there's a whole bunch of people out there, myself included, that have related a lot to the Elliot we've been shown the past four seasons, the social anxiety, the loneliness, the awkwardness the feelings of social injustice, the struggle to make connections. So for all of that to just be another persona, a persona that the real Elliot, although thinking of him as a superhero, admits he would never want to be, it's potentially quite upsetting and angering for some people. Josh, I don't know if you have any balm uh, for people like Matt who are out there struggling with that. For me, the balm comes in the form of the fact that 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 mastermind Elliot, that person who struggled that we uh, associated with so much. A, he's definitely part of our Elliot, and B, it is only because of all those things that that he experienced and all of the growth that he has, even the mastermind experienced, that the full Elliot can emerge. He's essentially putting one of his demons to bed. And yeah, we associated a lot with the demon, uh, but I think that means we will associate a lot with the prime Elliot because we also met Mr. Robot. We also came to see the value of Darlene. All these things are relatable, right?
0: and the other piece of it too is like when he wakes up at the end it's not like he's gonna be like where am I what happened no he's crying Uh, you know he's waking up with tears in his eyes because he's woke to everything that's happened to him I believe you know yeah, I think so that everything is integrated and like you know that's when Mr. Robot says to to the mastermind uh, before they go into the to the movie theater he says to him uh, you know we'll always be a part of him so when he wakes up they're all there all of that's there. This poor guy is going to have to explain himself to a lot of people. He's going to have to explain himself to himself. He's going to have to look in the mirror and remember a lot of the things that he's participated in, a lot of the things that have been done to him. Um, and all of that, just because this is the real Elliot, what it means is it's a whole Elliot. It doesn't mean that he's like a miraculously happy-go-lucky guy. That's not it right. at all. Uh, it just means that he's more than his rage now. And even his rage was becoming more than his rage. That is intensely powerful to me.
1: No doubt. No doubt. And I'm wondering, Josh, when you say he's going to have to explain himself to a lot of people. Andrew York had written and said, you've talked a lot of this season about how Elliot will atone for what he did to Olivia. Well, we're at the end of the season. And it seems like the answer we're given on that account is that it wasn't really Elliot, just a portion of his personality. It was the mastermind who was, in his words, playing God without permission. His realization of his need to let go of that control of Elliot can also be read as a realization that he needs to stop controlling others in general, which would include Olivia. Is this a satisfactory atonement for you, Josh?
0: Yeah, because you can then just extrapolate that to whatever you want to imagine comes next for Elliot and Olivia. But I think that 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 internal reckoning needed to happen at least. And I do feel like that that occurred. So on that level, yeah, I am satisfied.
1: Me too, uh, and I think again that that's the that's the real. It's not real an
0: absolve. You know, happened. nothing's absolved. We're not absolving anything, but like it's still. Uh, you know, I, I think that it, it's it's helping. It, it's it's at least deeply addressed in the text of the show, so I'm good with that.
1: And your your take, just so just so we're clear about this, your take is definitely that when when we see the eye with the tear in it, that Elliot is waking up with full knowledge of everything that happened before
0: hundred percent hundred percent absolutely yeah. that is how i 'm reading
1: that it. answers that answers a lot of questions that people had written in about uh so um i that that is something I, I agree with I think that is the that's the and I think I said this on the previous podcast, but I think that's the the real key behind the stylistic uh Jupiter and beyond the infinite two thousand and one uh, light tunnel with all the flashes of the moments of basically the last year of the show uh, that lead into that Elliot's eye. I think he's downloaded all that information when he wakes up. Um, I think there were some people that were c- concerned that he's going to wake up and he's going to wake up having been the Elliot in the loop and say, I'm not marrying Angela. Wait, Angela's dead? Like uh, He knows all this. He knows it wasn't real. He knows everything as he wakes up and he wakes up ready to confront all of that. I think we're on the same page about that. 100%. Absolutely. All right. Couple of, um, real quick final questions. Where does Mr. Robot land in the golden age of TV, Stefan Johnson?
0: Oh, there's so many shows. Uh, like more and more, that's becoming like an impossible thing to say. Um, but I do think that it's, it is an, it is an interesting conversation about where did Mr. Robot go? Uh, and Alex Zalbin at decider.com, uh, took a crack at that in an article that he wrote, uh, a good friend of mine, Alex. Um, and, uh, you know, a lot of that being kind of, uh, concurrent with the evolution of television as a platform and the options that we have and just the hundreds and hundreds of shows that you have to watch. How does a show that had such a bang, uh, that arrived with such a bang as Mr. Robot, go off relatively quietly? Obviously very loudly around these parts. We did not let that go into the night without a good fight. Um, but maybe in terms of like the public discourse uh, slipping away a little bit more quietly. Uh, so I recommend reading that article if you have not. Um, for me... Mr. Robot is a stone cold satisfying experience. There, there are, uh, there's so much about it that just makes me, makes me think about a lot of different subjects, makes me appreciate the art form, um, makes me, um, reassess uh the the power of uh of cinema as it can be applied beyond film and it can be applied uh to television and and you know a lot of a lot of the things that I've worked on in in my own life I can directly draw lines to to Mr Robot whether those are personal pursuits or creative pursuits um and I think just how it made me feel was just uh, it made me feel a lot uh, along the way. Uh, Mr. Robot will will always be remembered by me as one of the great shows of my viewing experience. Um, how that applies in the Grand Pantheon, it's just not something that I feel you can state easily with a few minutes left on a
1: podcast. Yeah. And we'll have to... I mean, this is fertile ground if we ever decide we want to revisit even on a one-off show of kind of... Answering some questions like that, uh ranking the four seasons, uh, where does it fall with some of the shows that we've podcasted about together uh, and so forth and so on. These are all these are all to be answered, perhaps at a later date or best left, uh, maybe undiscussed uh, because uh, it's still so fresh and so new. One of the things I will say is I'm not sure that I ever saw a better directed uh, television series. And that may be because of the consistency of Sam Esmail's vision and that's something you don't often see in a TV series um you're getting a showrunner who's working with different directors and giving directors latitude to do their own thing such that maybe the episodes aren't as consistent and there are standout episodes from a direction standpoint but this whole i mean think about thinking about the title cards of this show um with the Mr. Robot uh font and whatever with the varied uh ways we see it uh and going on in the background and the music that's playing at that time um that that's something that stands out to me is just a thing that a TV show hasn't done, and I'm not. I, it will be it will, I, when I see a TV show that does it similarly. If it's not made by Sam Esmail, I'll be surprised. Like this is a a mark for this show. The direction of this show was so superb throughout. I can confidently say I've just not seen a better, more consistently well directed TV show. Uh, the performances also really jump off the page. I mean, their Golden Globe, their award level, their award winning level. But even the people that weren't recognized. With awards, uh, Carly Chaikin really jumps off the page for me, uh, and others throughout, uh, were so, so good. Um, it's, it's really just a, a phenomenal TV show. It, it exists in its own plane in many respects. Uh, I, I think it's, it's, it, this discussion, uh, can be ended, uh, with a comment from Jill who said, we talked about how it will fare in the grand scheme of best ever finales. Jill says, this show is more than that. I won't participate in convos about finales anymore. This was beyond that. The show as a whole was always headed to this direction. It's so clear. other shows figured it out as they went. They, they, this had a vision, stuck to it, and made it a perfect show with a message. It will resonate with anyone familiar with mental illness. It will not age badly. It will always be relevant.
0: It's timeless. It really is. I mean, it's very, it's very specific to a certain time. (laughs) Whether it's 2015 or
1: 59 or 1116. It tells Rohit, you have one gigabit speed internet. And I have a feeling like in 10 uh, years, it'll be like, that's slow.
0: (laughs) But I think it's, it's themes are timeless for sure. It's theme, it's themes are timeless. And and I love that comment that this is where it was always going. Uh, I, I just saw the great film Knives Out and I'm not going to spoil it, but there's a great line in there. About um, you know following the truth to the to the arc at the end the arc of the rainbow uh, and going to the edge of it and where it lands you're, that's where you are on the other side and truth spills in your hands. I'm bungling the quote, but that's essentially what uh, what Mr. Robot here has has done. Um, I do firmly believe that we that we wound up where we needed to be in the end of this thing, and I think uh, we've we've wound up at the end of this podcast as well, which means. This is the end of the robot rainbow road. Get in your Mario Kart and let's drive away. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I know a shortcut. It's good. Uh, Joseph yeah, Zit, Josh, one
1: final question. One final question. Joseph Zit said asking again before we run off WTF is Stragoy.
0: <laughs> Stragoy! Stragoy! Oh, uh, gosh. Dare we define Stragoy, or uh, do we just leave that a mystery? Do we let the
1: mystery? I will. Uh, I will say this to Joseph and anyone wondering: it is not spelled S T R A G O Y as Joseph spelled it. I am a goy boy. Uh, it is spelled S T R I G O I. If you want to look it up,
0: yes, S T R I G O I, and if you want to look up. Uh, how that pertains to certain TV shows and how that TV show may pertain to certain post-show recaps, podcasts. And if you want to go back into a time capsule and understand how Antonio and I feel about a certain show in which the word "stragoy" was uh, heavily, prominently featured, perhaps you'll understand why we use the word "stragoy" whenever there is something happening that we no longer want to discuss. We cannot say "stragoy" as it pertains to Mr. Robot because this is a show that I would love to discuss forever. But alas... Uh, this doesn't work unless we leave to. Uh, so we have to we have to do that. We have to do that. I've got a plane to catch myself, so I have to go. Certainly, um, if there are if there are reasons to, to revisit the podcast uh, and to revisit Mr. Robot, we shall do so. It is not impossible that these things will occur, but we promise nothing. Uh, But for those reasons, we recommend you do not unsubscribe to the Mr. Robot feed or that you at the very least subscribe to the main post show recaps feed uh, where you will be able to get um, all the podcasts we do here on Post Show Recap, whether that's the aforementioned Lost podcast, uh, whether it's whatever Antonio and I have next in the future. Speaking of which, you can subscribe to the series regular podcast at The Hollywood Reporter where Antonio... Antonio and I are doing a lot of stuff there. We're currently on a little bit of a hiatus, but come February Antonio and I are going to be podcasting about a thing, TBD announcement. Go subscribe to the series regular podcast at the Hollywood Reporter to follow along with what we're planning on doing there starting in the beginning of February. Um and I don't know. What else you got, Antonio?
1: Well, you mentioned earlier uh we were joking about uh we're straining to make a joke, but Uh, For people who like what we do here, so many people emailed in and said thank you for this podcast. I would say if you have not uh, listened to our podcasting about The Leftovers, if you liked, especially where Mr. Robot ended up, uh, I think you would really like that show. Give it about six episodes and see. If you do like it, Josh and I podcasted about every episode of that show. And that podcast is available here at Post Show Recaps. Uh, would love to see uh, people check out The Leftovers because they liked Mr. Robot. Especially, like I said, if you liked where Mr. Robot ended up and you liked all of the focus on the characters uh, and the intense emotions that they experienced, The Leftovers will certainly scratch that itch. Um, give it, like I said, about midway through that first season, six episodes if you're not in by then. Maybe it won't land for you. It's not like Mr. Robot. It instantly grabs you by the throat, but it is a very, very good show, and I think our Podcasts uh, are of the same caliber as this, so if you have not checked it out, do that. Josh, what else have we podcasted about here that people might like, or am I forgetting something? I don't know. We've got Justified out there. Um, there are other Justifieds things here out Rejectors. there. Yeah, definitely check them out. Pl- pl-
0: plenty to tune into. And if you do check out that leftovers podcast, I believe we forgot to podcast about the episode called Gladys. So don't be don't shake your fist at the at the podcast feed. We're like, where's the Gladys recap? We missed it. Sorry. Uh just like we missed three oh uh three oh five uh in Mr. Robot. Sorry. Someday we're gonna that. go
1: back and re-record those episodes like <laughs> as though they never were not there.
0: That'll be our reason to go back. Uh for now, we go forward through our own tunnel of light and we burst out into our eye and I don't know if I'm losing the plot here, folks. Uh, but we've had such a wonderful time talking about this show. Uh, getting to talk about anything with Antonio on a weekly basis is always going to be a huge highlight of my life. Uh, so we will find another show for you for sure uh, that Antonio and I can nerd out about because we just have too much fun doing it. And Mr. Robot, uh, especially, uh, one of the greats that we've we really had a great time sinking our teeth into. Thank you all so much, friends, yes. for everything along the way. Uh, you've been Phenomenal companions along this ride. Uh, we cannot thank you enough. Uh, too many people out there to, to name, to shout out. Again, a shout out to Dom Alpietti, I will say, who I think would have loved this ending. Uh, I think he would have absolutely loved the way that Mr. Robot came in for a landing. Um, and, and so many of you who either if you have written in or you never have, or you're thinking about it and you just didn't for whatever reason, it's totally fine. Uh, we see you. We're so thrilled that you were here for us. Uh, And we are so thrilled that it's surreal to say that we were here for you, too. Um, And we will be here for you with another show at some point in the not-too-distant future. But as it pertains to Mr. Robot, goodbye, friends.
1: Goodbye, friends.